So it's Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. What is it that you are obsessed with? What's the thing that takes up most of your time? Thoughts, imagination. What's your passion? For my sister, it's Adele. For my dad, it's St. George Illawarra, the Mighty Dragons. For my grandma, it's painting. For my two-year-old daughter, it's teddy bears. 
For me, it's bird watching. What is it that thing that you have that you love to spend time on? You love to think about, pour your energy into it. What is it that you love? If I went around the room and asked each of you, what is it? You'd all share something quite different. But I imagine if I went around this room, I can almost guarantee no one would say, you know what I'm obsessed with? Money. You know what my passion is? Money. And yet, there's a whole bunch of evidence to prove otherwise. Because if you looked inside our minds, right, and calculated how many hours we worry about not owning a house, or if we own a house, paying it off, it would be a lot. If we calculated how many hours we talk about getting that renovation done, or travelling overseas to that place, it would be a lot. If you calculated how many times we've fretted and worried about not experiencing that, or the idea of downgrading, downsizing, it would be a lot. In the passage in Luke 12, we meet a man who I do not think, like us, would admit he's obsessed with money, and yet... His actions prove otherwise. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles, page 894. Verse 13 says this. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A certain individual has stopped Jesus and wants him to speak into a domestic matter. And notice how the way he goes about talking to Jesus. It's not, Jesus, could you? Or what's your wisdom? Or what's your advice? No, no, tell that my dad's dead. I want the money. Tell my brother he's being unjust. Do it. Now, it was quite common, right, for back in the day, for rabbis to pass judgment on domestic matters such as this. But Jesus, as we see, is not any rabbi. What's his response? Verse 14, man who appointed me, I can't say that, I can't help but say it like a black rabbi. It's like, man who, no, anyway, <laughs> man who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you. In other words, no, not getting involved. A little mini lesson here. Jesus is not going to be the key to your financial success. This should have been a sad moment. Two brothers grieving. Dad's dead. Mum's dead. And yet, greed is destroying their family. What does Jesus say? Verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why watch out? Why watch out? Because I don't think this man would have been aware that he was being greedy, would he? He's just getting what's his. Because greed is not like other sins. If you walk out of a shop carrying a plasma and you didn't pay for it, it's pretty obvious you're stealing, right? Pretty black and white. If you're in bed naked with someone who you're not married to, it's pretty obvious that's adultery, right? There's obvious sins. But greed is not like that. Greed is very subtle. You know, when you compare yourselves to others, 
and what they have and where they live, motivated by greed. When you're frustrated at others, why do they have that? What, what? Greed. You uncover the, look under the lies and the deceit and the things you steal, and underneath those actions comes a greedy heart of wanting more. And so Jesus says, watch out. And he tells a story. It goes like this. Verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, oh, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Notice this man is financially well off. Even before his business boomed, right, he was told he was a rich man. Now, how did he get this profit? It wasn't through dodgy means. Notice the ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. This guy became wealthy because God had blessed him with the wealth. God had given him the riches. See, wealth and success is not a bad thing unto itself. And the questions this man asks are good questions. What should I do? How should I invest it? What should I, how should I save it? Where should I spend it? Good questions to ask. But notice who answers the question. Is it God? Is it his friends? Is it even the barefoot investor book? No, no, no. He does. This is what I'll do, verse 18. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll store my surplus grain. See, the problem here is not financial planning, but planning in a way that leaves no room for God. Because what's his goal? Verse 19, I'll say to myself, ah, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what the scary thing about that is? Isn't that most of our retirement plans? Work hard, save up, then relax. Drink coffee, go to the theatre, travel to Europe, and be happy. What's wrong with this picture? See, this man in this story, he's got great faith. He is a devout worshipper, but not of God but of the God of money. See, he's replaced God and worshipped another God, the God of wealth, and that's called idolatry. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, anything that you and I tend to set up as the big thing, the central thing in our lives, the thing that we think and dream, the thing that engages our imagination, what we live for, that gives us the biggest thrill, if it is anything other than God, it's idolatry. And for this man, it was clearly his obsession with wealth had replaced God, where God wasn't even in the picture. So money is credited as giving him long life many years. Money is the one that will supply his needs and give him plenty. Money is the one that will give him happiness and make him merry. Now, this is not an ancient problem, is it? It's a Sydney one, 2019. And we in Sydney, ooh, we're very religious, aren't we? Not of God, but of the God of money. We think 
it will solve our problems. We put our trust in it. We find our comfort in it. We find our value in it. And when it goes, so does meaning. That's why the GFC was devastating to so many people. Now, we don't really like to think like this, do we? Or at the very least, admit it. But there's nothing like sudden death to put things into perspective. And that's what happens to the man in the parable. One night, drops dead. Can you imagine the eulogy at that man's funeral? Probably went something along the lines of this. He was a good man. Great investor. I mean, God had blessed him, hadn't he? He was a real businessman. He knew what to do. And right at the peak of his life, oh, cut short. We'll miss him. What's God's eulogy for this man? Two words. You fool. See, the worst thing that can happen to you, friends, is not having to rent all your life and never own a home. The worst thing that can happen to you is not losing thousands of dollars on the stock market or failing to travel to Europe. The worst thing that can happen to you is not having to put kids in public education rather than private or having to move to Western Sydney. That is not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is clutching onto your wealth and your experiences in education and dying with those words upon you, you fool. That's the worst that can happen to you. Why fool? Because appearances can be deceiving. I mean, this man, a good businessman, and yet, ultimately, he didn't invest well. He was focused upon retirement, but not upon what happens after that. He presumed he could take his stuff with him when he couldn't. A guy called Fred Catherwood said this, Greed is the logical result of the belief that there's no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and we hold on to it hard. Are you on track to becoming this rich fool? Is he you? Because Jesus says, verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. Where you go from alive with something to dead with nothing. What's the alternative? Well, it's in three words right at the end of that passage. Rich toward God. Be rich toward God. What does that mean? In order to be rich towards God, it is the exact opposite of how to get rich in this world. When the Bible speaks about being rich for God, it starts with a presumption that you and I cannot impress God. 
We are so impressed by rich people, aren't we? Oh, first class. Oh, oh, look at this view. Oh, Armani, Maserati, look at this party. Oh, wow. Like, we're just amazed. Like, oh, love it. But God, when he looks at us, is not impressed. He sees us all as spiritually poor, no matter your postcode, no matter how much is in your bank account. We're all spiritually poor. In fact, it's worse. We're all in debt to him. You need to start at that presumption for this verse to ring true. It's on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, how rich? Jesus made the world. If you made it, you own it. You think you own your house. Uh -uh. Jesus owns it, right? He owns it all. That's how rich he is. What does it say? Yet for your sake, he became poor. That first Christmas where God and Jesus Christ gave up it all to be born in a food trough in the back streets of Bethlehem. And then continued to live and at the end of his life, stripped naked on a cross. You don't get much poorer than that. Why would he do that? What does it say? So that you, you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, the irony here is the only way you can be rich towards God is if he gives it to you. And you receive it. Because you cannot earn it. You cannot do anything to get it. It has been done for you and you receive it. And that, to receive it, it requires humility. A humility that's not often associated with wealth success. Because wealth and success often accompanies the word I. I've done it. I've achieved this. My connections. My ability. And that is why wealth is a great obstacle to having real genuine faith. What did Jesus say? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because in all the glitz and glamour to acknowledge that you are spiritually poor and in need is a humble yet hard thing to do. But that's the only way you can be rich towards God. I mean, Talk about Alex, a member of our church. He uh, sells the big issue at Milson Point Station every day. Alex shared how one week he'd had a tough week and not sold a single magazine. And at the end of that week, he's talking with a family, family of Milson Point uh, in a penthouse there. And he's talking to this family. And the family is sharing how they're about to go to Japan. For a week. And he turns to the kids. It was mum, dad, two kids. Kids, are you excited about going on a plane? Oh, we always go on a plane. Oh, we always do that. Oh, okay. And they just grumbled and grumbled. Oh, but when you get there, Alex asked, you know, are you excited about, oh, we're just going to the penthouse we normally go to. You know, it's just, we have to do it anyway. And just complain and complain and complain. The wife turned to Alex and said, you know, my husband, he earns $30 million a year, and yet you seem far more happier than he does. You know what he said? 
That's because I've got Christ in my life and I'm far richer than you. And he is spot on. He is rich towards God because he gets the most precious thing, the precious treasure, Jesus Christ. Jesus might be calling you today. If you are on track to becoming the rich fool, it's not too late. You can let go of that tight grip of wealth and security which you hold on to and come to Jesus with empty hands knowing you have nothing to offer and receive the most beautiful treasure, Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor so that you become rich. But what if, like Alex, you've done that? You've asked Jesus into your life. What if you were a disciple of him? Well, Jesus says two things to us. Because here's the the truth. The worries about money still bubble up, don't they? They're still there. They're not immune when you become a Christian. They don't vanish. They're still there. So what do you do? Jesus says two things. The first is, when you start worrying about money... Go bird watching. I've always wanted to say that. No, trust me. Have a look. Verse 24. Verse 24. Consider, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. Now, ravens, you know this, are not pretty birds. They're ugly birds. You look at them and you think, am I going to die? Like they're just sort of this weird kind of... And yet in my experience in looking at ravens, I've never seen one with a portfolio or investment properties or a bank account. I've not seen one of you. And yet God feeds and knows every single raven. What did Jesus say? how much more valuable you are than birds. There's a beautiful little poem that goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious humans beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. The birds know it. Sometimes we act as if we don't know it. That we have a heavenly Father who looks after you. And if he's going to look after the birds, how much more you? I was cleaning my goldfish bowl the other day. I got a goldfish called Jonah. You can always tell a Christian family they name their pets after biblical characters. But anyway, I was cleaning Jonah's bowl. And as I was doing that, you know, I was thinking, putting the dechlorinated thing in and, you know, scrubbing the plant there and yada, yada, yada. And I was thinking, wow, if I go to this much effort to clean a fish, right, which probably won't last a year, <laughs> how much more my kids, right, I'm going to sacrifice so much more for them, give so much more for them. I think, and I'm a selfish father, right? How much more a perfect father in heaven? If you looks after the sparrows and ravens and pigeons. And yet how much more you, that he knows you and he gives you, oh, not what you want, that's not good parenting, but what you 
need. And he will not forget you. So when those worries come, walk. Go for a walk. Find some birds and look at them. And remind yourself, if God cares for them, he's going to care for me. Secondly, the thing Jesus says is to do with your wallet. When you look at your wallet or your bank account, don't look at what's coming in. Look what's going out. Where do you spend? Because if you're not generous with what you have, it generally affects, it reflects the fact that your, your faith's probably quite small. If you don't give money to others, it generally affects you haven't understood what has been given to you in Jesus. So Jesus reminds us, verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. What does that mean? That God is going to give you everything. The kingdom. Heaven awaits. That is coming. If the son and daughter What is the inheritance? The kingdom, which doesn't perish, spoil, or fade, or rust, or go. That is what's coming. So Jesus, what? He gives you a challenge. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. It's easy to understand that, isn't it? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, if you're anything like me, you'll think of a hundred excuses why you shouldn't do it, particularly this week. But Jesus is saying, clear as day, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Spiritual poor, physical poor, do it. And as you do that, right, as you do that, what are you doing? You're telling yourself, you know what, in the end, this is not my money, it's God's. That I could Sell my possessions and just buy something else? Or sell my possessions and give to those in need who don't deserve it? But yet I'm ex- showing to others what I have experienced, that I am poor and do not deserve God's love. As you sell your possessions and give to the poor, you are preaching to yourself Everything will go, but heaven awaits. So that's the challenge Jesus calls us to do. As someone said who's much wiser than I, our heart can tell us if we're anxious, and our pocketbook can tell us if we're generous. Both tell us if we're trusting God. When it comes to money, we're obsessed, aren't we? And it is only casting your eyes on what Jesus has done and what is to come that we loosen our grip on stuff. As we look to what Jesus did, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that we can become rich, it prompts us 
to remind us, no, when the worries bubble up, trust God. When I think about keeping rather than giving, no, 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 trust God. Because He is good. Brothers and sisters, we're going to share in the meal Jesus instructed us to pray, uh, uh, participate in, the Lord's Supper. And a, a, a meal that reminds us of how much more valuable you and I are than birds. That God in Jesus Christ would die on a cross to forgive us of our sins of greed, our lack of trust, our lack of generosity. You may be in a position where you're heading the path of the rich fool and you don't want to go there anymore. We're going to say a confession together. And can I encourage you, use this confession as a turning point. You say, no, I want to be rich towards God. To confess your sins, come with empty hands and put your trust in him. Or if you've done that, we're going to say this confession as well as a reminder that we fall far short of what God wants us to be, but we can confess our sins knowing he is good and he forgives us. So on the screen... Are we going to say these words together and encourage you, say them along with me. Heavenly Father, you are the King of all kings, the righteous judge of this world. Your glory surpasses all, and you alone are worthy of honor. Through Christ, you have truly given us all that we need, his lavish grace, his constant love, and the hope of eternity knowing him. Yet the weight of our sin weighs heavily on us. We have wandered far from your path. We have desired the fleeting riches of this world. We have stored up our treasures in jars of clay and not trusted you as we should. Our lives have fallen short of your glory. Father, we plead for your mercy. Reveal to us the shallowness of earthly treasures and help us to seek your kingdom first. Guard our hearts and lead us in the way of eternal life. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen.